For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, everybody. I'm Blaine Gilmer. I'm Josh Taylor. And I'm Donovan White. And this is CFB Unfiltered. All right, guys. So, Josh, go ahead and tell them what we got coming up today. Oh, man. We've got breaking news. The Alliance has formed in college football. This is like the Avengers of sports. This is going to be monumental, uh, but it might not be. And we're going to talk about that. Obviously, we're going to break down the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the ACC and talk about this Alliance and how it's really going to work. And we have a special guest who's going to give his thoughts on the Alliance. Yep, and that special guest is Kevin Noon of Buckeye Grove. Obviously, going to talk the Alliance, Big Ten, and of course, the Ohio State University. And here we are with Kevin Noon, the publisher and managing editor of BuckeyeGrove.com, part of the Rivals Network. Kevin, thank you so much for joining CFB Unfiltered. Absolutely. Looking forward to talking a little bit about the the Buckeyes with you here, uh, Ohio State year in and year out, a perennial playoff contender. But before we get to that, I, I'm sure you've been asked by about it many times by many people, the Alliance. Um, give me give me your thoughts here, Kevin, on, on the Alliance. What does it mean, and how is it going to impact things going forward? Well, what does it mean? I'm not really quite sure. I, a whole lot of nothing to me at this point. They – Came out with just about as little information as I expected. Oh, we're going to schedule against each other, but we're going to honor our contracts and we'll get around to it eventually and so on and so forth. And you already have the Alston, you know, from that lawsuit coming out and saying, if you use this as any sort of collusion to try and set player potential earnings, we're going to come after you. So It all sounds well and good in theory in terms of trying to stay up maybe with the SEC, certainly try and wrestle some power away from ESPN in terms of owning the postseason. But, you know, color me a little skeptical at this point that it really amounts to anything because it just sounds like a lot of nice platitudes and not a lot of substance. It's almost unbelievable to me that three uh, powerful men, you know, commissioners of major conferences would come out, make a big deal about this press conference, and and then in the midst of it say, oh, no, nothing's been signed. There's, there's, no, there's no signed agreement here. So, like you said, it seems to be a little bit of a nothing burger in terms of that. But just thinking a little bit deeper into it, Ohio State specifically – what would they gain out of the scheduling other than maybe an Oregon, which they've already had non-conference games, you know, scheduled with Oregon in the past and maybe in the, in the future as well. So Oregon, 
USC, Clemson, and maybe an emerging North Carolina or uh, maybe a Miami if Miami gets back to relevance. What is, what Are there any teams that would move the needle for some of these top-tier Big Ten teams? Well, you know, the question really is, I mean, Ohio State can go out and schedule what it is, that, you know, whoever they want. I mean, they play Oregon week two of this season. They have series with Texas and Notre Dame and and. I mean, they just signed an Alabama series in the mid-2030s. I mean, Ohio State has never ducked away from playing major non-conference opponents. In the 15 years that I've been with the site, I have seen them play Cal and Washington and Texas. And, you know, the list goes on and on and on. So I don't really think that they gained that much. I think the biggest thing is that Ohio State doesn't want to see a college football playoff landscape, be it moving to 12 teams or whatever, where, you know, I'm sorry, not sorry, where there's five or six SEC teams in it. They just, the, Ohio State certainly is one of the big dogs outside of the SEC, and Ohio State needs to protect its interests. Um, I think that with this alliance, if the Big Ten falls back in line to playing eight conference games instead of nine, has four non-conference slots, is able to maintain some of the things it has, and it's able to keep its schedule up there. Uh, you know, I think that that's what's important to them. I think really being able to feel like it has a little bit more of a seat at the table in terms of the uh, the large decisions, because I'm going to be completely honest. I don't think a lot of people in Big Ten country are huge fans of Kevin Warren, Big Ten commissioner at this point. So... Ohio State certainly would like to see as many safeguards as it can in in, in terms of protecting its own self-interests. Do you, to that extent, do you think because Ohio State's been so dominant in the Big Ten over the last couple of years, do you think if, let's say, Greg Sankey and the SEC wanted to get even more ambitious and they approached Ohio State and said, Ohio State, do you want to be become part of the SEC? Do you think that's even something Ohio State would entertain at, at, at a certain juncture? I think you have to look at it, but I mean, we, we look at conference affiliation at such a small scale. We look at conference affiliation at football Mm -hmm. and, and that's it. That is millions with an M conference affiliation on the grand scheme of things is billions with a B you have the big 10 academic Alliance, the BTAA, which used to be the CIC, which was the, council or consortium on institutional cooperation and that's the research and grants arm of where all of these research universities that are part of the aau get federal dollars and whatnot in terms of conducting university business and research and that's billions of dollars Mm -hmm. so i think that the better chance of seeing major movement is if we just see a split off of football and that we create super conferences in football. And whether or not it's the SEC plus a couple of other teams creates this super conference or we see a couple of other super conferences, I don't know if you're going to see Ohio State really apt to move in a situation of where it loses the BTAA, where it loses that that, that access to a lot of money in order to make another $20, $25 million in terms of football, uh, you know, that certainly becomes penny wise and dollar foolish. 
you know, as somebody who covers sports for a living, I'd love to see something like that. My wife went to Ole Miss. I've never seen a game in Oxford. I'd love to do all of that. I'm, I'm looking forward to some of these SEC series on Ohio State's schedule coming up around 2030 or whenever that is. We'll see if those stick. I mean, people don't forget Ohio State had home and homes with UGA and with Tennessee uh, that were supposed to be happening around this time, and those those series got dropped around 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't I don't know if I see a situation of where Ohio State moves away from the Big Ten just because it's it it, it doesn't make sense in terms of the the cost of doing business. You're absolutely right, and then you know you have Kurt Kurt Herbstreit a. Ohio State alumni out here calling for, you know, there to be one single commissioner that has power over all the Power Five conferences. He was making kind of a media loop yesterday. So definitely there's a lot going on and there could be a lot to look at in the future. Um, Kevin, in terms of this year and this team with Ohio State, Obviously, they lost just as much as Alabama did, you know, putting 10 draft picks in the league, a quarterback in Justin Fields that was uh, phenomenal last year, and have C.J. Stroud coming on board this year. You know, what is it going to take for Ohio State to not, you know, miss a beat? It seems like Nick Saban and Ryan Day are able to just reload and keep things moving on. Is that going to be your take on things with Ohio State this season? Ohio State certainly needs to fix its defense. Its defense was uh, pedestrian last year, and Ohio State does not generally have pedestrian defenses. Uh, You know, there are 90 programs out there nationally that would love to have that pedestrian Ohio State defense, but, uh, you know, that's not what Ohio State fans are used to. Uh, Ohio State loses its top four linebackers, its starting three, and its number one sub of Justin Hilliard. It loses some stuff in the back end as well of the defense and the in the in the secondary. So essentially, the whole back seven of the defense is going to be highlighted, and I think that's where the questions are going to be. As Ohio State week one opens at Minnesota, a conference game, and then week two's home against Oregon, and then really can kind of decelerate for the next four games. What Ohio State's going to be able to do there with C.J. Stroud at quarterback? He they're not going to ask him to be Justin Fields. Uh, it's, it's, it's sort of like the loss of Trey Sermon. You don't ask one running back to account for all of those yards, to do all of that by himself. It's, it's going to be a situation of, okay, you're going to do this and you're going to do this, and we're going to hopefully account for all of that. So Ohio State's going to have some growing pains for what Ohio State is, maybe here week one, week two. I would not be surprised to see Ohio State with a, uh, a young quarterback, and going against a Minnesota team that was giving up about 207 yards a game on the ground last year to come out and ground and pound and run that that boring style of three yards and a cloud of dust offense that people outside of the Big Ten love to rail on and go in there and 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 you know win a game 42 to 17 by just you know ground and pound or whatnot. But you know I think Ohio State certainly has the bodies to be able to do it in a lot of positions. They're long on talent and maybe a little short on experience, but Ohio state probably has a top three national offensive line probably has the best wide receiver room in the nation and certainly has a great coaching staff. I think that, you know, you put all of that together. There's a lot of pieces in there that are going to work to where Ohio state still trying to figure out its way for the first couple of weeks is still going to look better than 85% of the teams out there nationally that may already know what their path is covering the the team as you do 
Who are some? Who's maybe a player early that you see Ohio State leaning on the most to help some of those inexperienced guys? I mean, are they just going to be you know, feeding the ball to Chris Olave, trying to you know get get him as many touches as possible, or is there somebody else that comes to mind? And then the the backup to that would be: Are there any surprise players that you think emerge quickly here for Ohio State as well? You know, I think they're going to be just. I think there are a lot of names I could list on offense, but the one-two punch of Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson at wide receiver are certainly very comforting. You're going to see Jackson Smith and Jidba coming out of the slot. Marvin Harrison Jr., the son of Marvin Harrison Sr., I think is a true freshman that's going to really come out there and just take over the scene the way that Jackson Smith and Jidba did last year. Uh, you know, I think running back is going to be an interesting situation. Master Teague last year was coming off of an Achilles injury. Looked a couple steps slow, just did not have it. I, he's had a tremendous offseason from everything I've been told. Pictures of him from camp, I mean, just chiseled. I mean, just really looks the part. Will he be able to play like that? Keep an eye on true freshman running back Trevion Henderson, member of the Rivals 100. I think that he's going to be somebody who's going to come in and wrestle away some carries along with Mayan Williams, who was somebody who had – about a dozen carries, but we know how fans can sometimes be. They fixate and focus on the guy that might be the next guy up, and I think Mayan Williams is somebody there. Uh, defensively, I think that Zach Harrison, so much of the defense is going to be predicated by on him being able to take that next step. Everybody was hoping he was going to be the next Bosa brother or Chase Young. He's a captain now. The light bulb has gone off. And then a pair of true freshman five-star defensive ends that have come into the system with Jack Sawyer and JT Tui Moloau. I think both of them are going to be poised for big years, especially with an injury to Tyler Friday that might cost them the entire season. Now, in terms of, as you mentioned, you know, you mentioned the freshman names and things like that. Ohio State always, they're always um, recruiting at an extremely high level. They're always you know, perennially in the top five. I know they won a uh, national championship in, in 2002 and 2014, but as most fanatic, as what fan is short for, fanatic, you know, fan bases, things like that, that are highly invested in program, it's kind of a what have you done for me lately. Even though they made it to a national championship game, I cover Georgia football on the Rivals Network, ugasports.com. Kevin, just want to know how – you know, much of a parallel does there seem to be with the Georgia program, the high state program? It seems like Alabama is that nemesis that you have to get over. They're both recruiting a high level. They both have young head coaches that are seen as, as doing a very good job. Uh, but, you know, it seems like Nick Saban is just the thorn in everyone's side. You, and then, of course, the Justin Fields uh, connection between Georgia and Ohio State. Is there just a lot of similarities between these these two programs, even down to the colors? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, throw some gray in the Georgia uniform. I mean, you know, Ohio State certainly loves to wear a black alternate uniform here and there. But, yeah, I mean, there are some similarities. I would sit there and say when we're talking about Ohio State's nemesis, it's been Clemson as of late. Yeah. I mean, and Ohio State finally was able to slay that dragon after going uh, – whatever it was, 0-3 against the Tigers, and they were able to to beat them pretty well in the Sugar Bowl uh, in the college football playoff semifinals. But, yeah, both 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 teams recruit very well. Both teams seem to maximize a lot of the times. And then Alabama certainly is an issue. But let's not forget Ohio State in, in route to its, ninth, or its 2014 championship did beat Alabama in the college football playoff semifinals before beating Oregon in the championship game. You know, I think Ohio State fans would be quick to remind UGA fans that uh, 
2014 is a lot more recent than 1980. Oh, yeah. That's, that's uh, why I prefaced it to start yeah. off with. That they wanted 2002 and 2014, but in terms of here lately, it just seems like that, that uh, you know, that Alabama and Clemson have just been trading off, like you said, and it's been that nemesis for, for both programs. Well, really. and a benefit that Ohio State has is UGA has Alabama in its conference. Ohio State really – doesn't have that, you know, that dominant 900-pound gorilla in the room that it has to deal with. I mean, Ohio State certainly has won four straight Big Ten outright championships, has been the class of the league, but, you know, it, it, it seems to rotate who the team is that might challenge Ohio State, and it certainly has not been Michigan as of late. Whether it be Penn State or whoever, you know, Ohio State certainly had its hiccups with Michigan State under Urban Meyer. They lost a couple of games to the Spartans. Spartans are way down right now at this point. Uh, but, you know, I, I definitely can see a lot of similarities there. But I guess conversely, when I just look at Ohio State winning the conference on the regular, whereas UGA just has to end up going to Atlanta and then sees you know, Alabama lining up across the field or whatever. And I, I think I start to see some, you know, some deviation there at that yeah. point where, you know, again, Ohio State certainly is in a uh, less deep conference. I'll just put it that way. And my last question to you on that, who do you think has the most realistic chance of dethroning uh, Ohio State this year in the Big Ten? Funny, I just wrote something on that here on Thursday afternoon as we were doing some questions going into this season. Everybody's going to naturally circle to Penn State. Penn State had a real Jekyll and Hyde year last year. They go 0-5 to start the year, and then they run off and win their last four. Looked pretty good down the stretch. Uh, remember that they did it without Micah Parsons, who opted out for the year. They lost a couple of running backs, Noah Kane, Journey Brown, both out. Uh, you know, I think Penn State is going to be a pretty good challenge. And then coming out of the West, a lot of people are picking Wisconsin. I'm picking Iowa. I'm thinking Iowa and Wisconsin are both going to be sitting there at about nine and three at the end of the year. Um, I think this is going to be Iowa's year. Just when you kind of sell on Kirk Ferentz, uh, his team rises up and is able to do something. But since the Big Ten went to geographical divisions and scrapped that stupid leaders and legends stuff, the Big Ten East is 7-0 against the Big Ten West and Indianapolis at the Big Ten Championship game. So until I see otherwise, I'm not putting any eggs in the basket of the West. So I would say Penn State probably by a wide margin, and then maybe Indiana 3, Michigan 4 in terms of how the East is going to shape up. Fantastic insight from Kevin Noon, publisher and managing editor of BuckeyeGrove.com, part of the Rivals Network. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us and uh, look forward to maybe talking to you down the road sometime here on CFB Unfiltered. Absolutely. All right, so great insight there, as I said, from Kevin Noon. Really enjoyed talking to him, somebody that covers Ohio State each and every day. That's literally his job, folks, is he covers Ohio State each and every day. And in part of that, he is in tune with what's going on with this alliance and stuff like that. I've been talking to you guys for a week about how much I want to talk about the alliance. So I'm going to let you guys say what you want to say and kind of clear the floor out of it. And then and then I'm going to I'm going to give my opinion, my humble opinion on the alliance. So uh we'll start with our Big Ten Homer here, our resident Ohio State. You can see he's rocking the the. He even put the Ohio State oh, in our show notes tonight, guys. So, oh yeah, 
you know, Donovan, uh, the floor is yours, sir, on Ohio State and, and the Alliance right now. Yeah, listen, I think the SEC over the years, uh, most recent, has tried to big dog their way with the Power Five, right? And so I think, well, I think in a way we agree, uh, you know, we agree, Blaine. I think that the Alliance, in, in essence, is them kind of backing them in a the corner and say, you're not going to have your own way, right? You're going to have your voice, but if you don't want to play with us, you know, not literal sense, you know, play. If, but if you don't want to play a game with us, then you can go sit in your own corner, right? So I think that's what part of the alliance is. Again, do I think there's much to it? Nah, there's that, you know, that's to be seen. But I like the move to try and kind of keep the security and the voices of the Big Ten AC Pac-12 together while the SC tries, tries a keyword. I don't think it's going to be successfully to use their own voice while loud to outshine the, the other conferences. Josh? See, it's funny because I, I saw this on Twitter uh, yesterday and I told my boss about it. He's actually an Ohio State fan too. He's from Ohio. He said, yeah, I've seen this thing about the Alliance. Like, how how real is this? I said, well, the first tweet I saw was there's no written contracts. It is solely on trust. I said, that's about as real as it is. And he said, well, yeah, that, that sounds about right. So I, I'm looking towards like the professional wrestling aspect of like who turns heel first and goes against the others. Like if Ohio State did say, Hey, the SEC called. Maybe we should listen to them and actually, you know, go get that money in the SEC. And they joined up eventually, like 2030 down the line. I don't know, but I'm just waiting. It's it actually benefits the SEC because it makes them look bad. The Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12. They look desperate. And they like put like this long paragraph, but oh, we're gonna help the communities, and this is gonna be great for the schools and the finance. No, this is y'all saying we have to do something because the SEC now has Oklahoma and Texas. And say what you want about Texas, but Oklahoma obviously being one of the top teams. They possibly have three teams that are repeatedly in the playoffs over and over and over again. So to me, it's just a desperate move. I don't think anything comes out of it. And we'll talk about scheduling coming up here. Looks like, you know, Ohio State, some of these Big Ten teams and Pac-12 teams play this year that might you know shake things up so we'll see um but i i think it's a bunch of nothing i think the sec is supreme and the other conferences are saying hey this is all we've got now blaine before you start speaking of money ohio state's never going to the sc for money as the big 10 as far as i'm as far as i'm aware is the highest grossing conference of all of them not just power five i just wanted to throw that out there well, it's we got gr- Longhorn it's, Network it's gross all right you said gross <laughs> right? it, it's gross now uh, hold on let me let me stretch out a little bit here because i've been waiting i've been waiting a while i'm ready to let loose on, let on the alliance here so here's what happened the sec was already like the fraternity in college that everybody wanted to be a part of, right? So they 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 have you know the best parties. They're always you know in the know on everything. Everything is wonderful. Everybody's wanting to be a part of that group, that fraternity. And then outside, over in the Big Twelve, two guys that were the the coolest two guys in this rival fraternity decided, you know what? We want to we want to we want to jump ship. We want to go over here with the SEC in Texas and Oklahoma. And it totally just rocked the social society, you know, of everybody around. And basically what happened is these people responded, meaning when I say these people, meaning the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the ACC responded in the most passive-aggressive way that you can by saying, okay, we're going to do something. But we're not really going to do anything because we're not going to sign anything. 
We're already we're not already scheduling each other. Ohio State plays Oregon this year. Yep. Cal plays. Uh, I think Cal plays. Uh, no, not Cal. Washington plays, Washington Michigan, plays Michigan this yep. year. So that's already happening. So what does that what does that even mean? All it's, all this is doing is a way it, to try and prevent ESPN from getting further reach and becoming even more dominant in the college football space. They're trying to help Fox out. Also, all they're trying to do is now, and how crazy is this? So it was the other conferences other than the SEC that decided that they wanted to expand the playoffs, right? That was Greg Sankey made that clear when he went on the Paul and Five Mom show this week and said, hey, I, it, was, it was not the SEC's representative that brought up this expansion thing. And now people are coming back and saying, oh, now we don't want expansion. The alliance is. Because I don't know what is going on with their thinking here. They've realized, oh, crap, now the SEC has a chance to have six teams in the playoff. And, you know, we may we may get one if we're lucky. So it was a lot of just absolute reactionary, like I said, passive-aggressive stuff with the Alliance. And I don't think anything's going to come out of it like Josh said, somebody's going to turn heel, and it's not going to be like even a good heel turn. It's going to be like when Stone Cold Steve Austin turned heel, and everybody hated it. Like that's that's what's that's what's going to happen right there. So, you know, I I think the alliance is a waste of time, but we do lucky for us. I think these conferences, if they stay in their own lane and their own merit, and do things the right way, and maybe shuffle some teams around, go cherry pick some some AAC teams you know, bring in a Boise State or a BYU. Somebody sacks up and tries to go get Notre Dame and bring them in. I was going to say, they might lose out in all this. If they don't get picked up, they're like, uh, we got to play USC, Ohio State, and Clemson this year? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm looking – I'm looking at, at you, Big Ten, to, to go in there and and, and bring in bring, um, on over. bring in Notre Dame because that's where they belong. They belong in the Big Ten. That's where oh, Notre yeah. Dame should be. Uh, the fact that Notre Dame even is got this deal with the ACC, uh, Kevin Warren and people like that should feel absolutely ashamed. Not that he shouldn't already feel ashamed for trying to be the Grinch that stole football Christmas last year where he tried to cancel all the season and everybody said, hey, you're 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 not getting away with that. This is, yep. this is America and football matters and we're going to play football. Yep. So that's kind of what happened there. So anyways, that's my soapbox on the Alliance. Want to get into our conference breakdowns, but the way that we do it here, and if it's your first time here, this is CFB Unfiltered, a member of the Believe Podcast Network, and we are streaming live here on the 365 Sports YouTube channel. So thankful that to partner with 365 Sports. They have live shows every day. They got 365 Sports Live. They have Baylor updates, Baylor sports updates. So you need to uh, make sure to subscribe, turn on notifications to get all the 365 sports content. As well, a quick plug for one of uh, one of the fellow shows here on 365, The Hard Count, as you can see on the screen if you're watching on YouTube, The Hard Count with J.D. Pickell. He's a former Cornell football player transferred to Baylor. Now he's doing his thing here on the 365 Sports Network. Brings great takes, has a wonderful show over there, so make sure to tune into that. Yeah, so we we love watching all his stuff as well. So now, guys, let's get into our segment, 
what I was going to tell everybody, we have three segments here on the show that we like to do. We do we talk about playoffs, we talk about Heisman Trophy contenders, and we talk about the big three. And we're going to touch on the playoff contenders on each one of the conferences, ACC, Big Ten, and Pac-12 as we get into Pac-12? it. <laughs> yeah, maybe Pac-12. But let's talk about some playoffs. Uh, playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? All right. So when it comes to the playoff contenders here, guys, we have our Donovan. You you came up with the idea of the tiers, and I'm going to throw up uh, here on the screen. I'm going to go ahead and throw up our ACC tiers first, and we're just going to kind of hit the tiers of each conference, and then we'll come back and break break them down after that. But here's our ACC tiers. So, Donovan, go, go ahead and uh, let the people know what they're looking at right here on the YouTube. Yeah, we'll go bottom up like we did last time. So, tier four, yikes. I mean, Georgia Tech and Syracuse, there's not much to be said about them. They are in the bottom feeders of the ACC. Tier three, prove me wrong. Again, we might disagree with some of these. Wake Forest and Louisville, again, nothing too exciting. Florida State, you know, a dominant college football program. But I don't know. I think tier they're in the tier three, the prove me wrong stage right now. Tier two, enjoy your bowl game. You know, not much to be said. They're going to go play a bowl game a couple of days before New Year's Eve or a couple of days after, you know, New Year's. It's, it's you know, that's you, what you see is what you get with them. And then, of course, tier one, the kingpins, those that are the college football playoff contenders. And there we got Clemson and North Carolina. Josh, anybody, uh, and I'll throw that graphic back up here in just a minute, but wanted to get your opinion, you know, just right off the bat. Obviously, we know Clemson and North Carolina are the two teams that are kind of favored uh, to, you know, end up playing each other in the conference championship game this year. Also, Miami might have something to say about that. NC State is a good good team right now. So oh, yeah. just ki- just give an overarching view of the – the playoff picture that you think could come out of the ACC? Well, I think you, you nailed it. You know, obviously Clemson and North Carolina, I think that's the clear-cut conference championship right there. Miami, if they come out, Derek King just looks insane from after his injury. Somehow beat Alabama. You know, somehow get past North Carolina, even with one loss. And, you know, if you, if you beat Alabama, say you lose to North Carolina or vice versa – and you end up beating Clemson in the ACC championship, I think you have to be talked about, obviously, going into the playoffs if you're Miami. I think it's the only other Tier 2 team that really has a chance. I think these other Tier 2 teams are more of like the upset players, like NC State, a really good experienced team. They could upset one of these teams going towards the playoffs and ruin their season for them. Um, Pitt, eh, I'm more just looking at Kenny Pickett there. I'm not really looking too much at the teams. UVA, Virginia Tech, same things. All spoiler teams. Um, and then obviously FSU. So, uh, fans are going to hate us, but they just haven't shown anything. We can't say nothing good about them. You know, we can't just sit there living the past like we were talking about Donovan before the show. We, we have to see something there. And I think uh, Norville just needs some more time to get things going back, especially recruiting wise. Um, but man, Clemson, North Carolina, those are the real deals. And I, I honestly would have North Carolina over Clemson. And I'm, that's just not the Alabama and me saying that because I hate Clemson. I, I think North Carolina would beat Clemson if they played tomorrow. Donovan, uh, you do a lot of analysis for us in terms of what these teams are bringing back up front. Who who has some of the – we know that battles are won in the trenches. Who has some of the strongest offensive line play returning in the ACC? Yeah, I'm going to focus on Boston College. I mean, Boston College, I believe, is one of the most talented units in the country, right? They have one of the top centers in Tyrell Lindstrom who decided to come back 
Um, they got another first teamer in Zion Johnson, right? So they have probably the two best interior offensive linemen in the ACC. They've got experienced tackles, you know, back in Tyler Vrabel and Ben Petrula, and they probably have three of the five best offensive linemen in the ACC. I agree with what Josh said. They're not so much of a contender, right? They do bring, you know, talented guys like Jalen Gill, the transfer from Ohio State. I'm not even going to attempt their quarterback's last name. I know this oh, first that's name my guy. <laughs> Bill Dracovic. There Love we go. Love his game. He's a baller. He is. And he's got a great support, especially in the offensive line and some weapons around him. I think Boston College, like you said, Josh, isn't, you know, they're in the tier where they're not, like, they're not King Ben and they're really not one of the teams that can escalate to a King Ben, but they can play upset alert against one of those King Pens. They played Clemson really well last year. That To mm-hmm. me, that was one of Phil Odrakovic's best games. And then Zay Flowers, one of his favorite wide receivers coming back. And like you said, Jalen Gill coming uh, transfer over from Ohio State. They've got some weapons. This isn't like the old boring Boston College where they're going to run the ball with uh, A.J. Dillon like 40 times a game <laughs> a couple of years ago. Like This is an actual squad, and I love Phil. He was one of my top five sleeper quarterbacks in the entire power five conference this season he's the guy i'm watching closely puts up big numbers um they're really changing that offense at boston college so don't sleep on them like they can absolutely be right there with clemson again this year they played them really close last year y'all are talking a lot about boston college here's the team that i think can end up being the proverbial fly in the ointment so to speak here in the acc and i'm gonna go with the wolf pack of nc state and the reason for that oh yeah Oh, yeah, throw the wolf back up there. But the NC State, I'm going with uh, they have 19 returning starters. Not only that, they return 95% of the production on their on their offense. They are returning a ton of production on their offense. I mean, it is a uh, very, very good situation for nc state coming out they get devin leary back a dual threat quarterback he broke his leg last year four games into the year he's back he's a hundred percent they have guys uh two a third three-year starter i think is a gibson up up front at the center position um and then uh they have a they have a tackle I can't pronounce his last name in Woku uh, yeah. in Woku. That's going to be coming back Two guys that can be all conference, even all, all American type candidates. So 10 guys returning on defense. I mean, that is phenomenal uh, when you have that and guys, we'll talk about more about a matchup with them on uh, coming, coming down the line on once we get to the big three, but just, Pay attention to NC State. I think that's a team that you need to watch out for uh, other than the obvious, uh, you know, Clemson and North Carolina. Now, guys, let's touch on – here we go, Donovan, your favorite, the playoff picture, what it looks like coming out of the Big Ten. Let's roll. Again, Tier 4, Michigan State, Illinois. I still think they're a little – you know, they, they have some of the recruiting talent, but Michigan State's still early under the new coaching era in Illinois. I don't know. There's not much potential with them. And tier three, prove me wrong. There's some interesting teams in here, right? I think Minnesota and Maryland are the two in- most interesting ones. And we'll get into Minnesota a little bit, but, you know, they got a talented quarterback, Tanner Morgan. They've got one of the top running backs in the country. And Maryland, again, the two, the, uh, I'm not even going to try and say his name, the two, two his brother. There we go. Maybe tackle the white There we go. Josh is the, ba- is the Bama family expert, right? So we got tier three, prove me wrong with those guys. Michigan. You know, I only because I have respect for them as a rival. They're not in tier four. Uh, tier two, you know, enjoy your bowl game. A lot of teams in here, Wisconsin and Iowa, I think the two most intriguing teams in there, as with Penn State and Indiana. And, of course, the Kingpin, 
of the conference and one of the kingpins of college football, the Ohio State University. Yeah, Josh, what, what's your what's your take on the big on the Big Ten? Other than you know Donovan's precious the Ohio State coming out of there. <laughs> well, you, you're right. You can't spell yikes without the I and the S. They are down bad. Like I was looking at games to go to uh, the first Saturday on the 11th, and being here in Virginia, I was like UVA Illinois. I was like. No, I think I'd rather just stay home and watch some games on TV. Um, but you mentioned Ohio State. It's the same thing, it seems like, every year. And, uh, you know, they talked about it in the interview. They don't have, like, that one team that can really upset them this year. But just like we just talked about the ACC, there's still teams that can play that upset role. Like, Indiana almost did it last year. And one of my, and my guy, Ty Freifogel, one of my favorite wide receivers from Indiana, Diamond knows I love this guy because he balled out against Ohio State. And then Michael Penix is coming back. So they might be able to play that spoiler role. And then there's Northwestern, who's always got this stingy defense, and they get better every single year. They're not exciting. They're not fun, but they beat you up for four quarters. And it's close games. Like, they they hold you to under 21 majority of the time. Um, and outside of that, like you said, there's some teams that have some good players, like Minnesota with Tanner Morgan and uh, Ingram. They're, uh, or Muhammad, their running back, is one of the top running backs in the Big Ten. So I'm just looking at what team can possibly spoil them. And you mentioned it, Indiana, Wisconsin. I don't know. I just haven't seen enough out of them with Graham uh, Mertz. But, man, Penn State, if they can get things going quick, they can play that spoiler role. But if it's me, Ohio State's making the playoffs. I mean, look at all the weapons they have coming back. You mentioned it with recruiting and everything. Can C.J. Stroud just come in? and roll with that offense if not is he going to have these hiccups right away i don't know but i i I just i feel like they're huge heavy favorites and i honestly don't see them losing anybody i literally think that the ohio state offense and scheme and the way that roster is built offensively even though they're replacing justin fields and and trey sermon i believe that it's built in such a way that i could go play quarterback right there and look pretty productive right away. So I'm not worried about CJ Stroud going over there and just absolutely balling out to, 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 you know, start off the year. I don't think they'll struggle early. I do think they have an interesting game against Oregon in week Mm -hmm. two. Uh, That is going to be something that, you know, I think CJ Stroud will be tested because Mario Cristobal, I think is one of the better coaches Josh, I even heard a, an opinion today that when Saban moves on, Mario Cristobal could be the next guy at uh, at Alabama. Hey, I so, love it. You know, you Bring never him on know. back. <laughs> yeah. you He's never a heck know. of a recruiter. Great recruiter. One of the top recruiters in college football. And like you mentioned, the offensive mind. That's one matchup I have circled right there on 9-11. Oregon goes to Ohio State. We talked about the linebacker core, how much they're replacing. Can that speed of Oregon eat up? that second and third level for Ohio state and just milk the game out, run that clock, keep that clock going down, maybe play a spoiler alert. But I I think Ohio state's offense is just going to be too good against any PAC 12 defense, let alone Oregon's defense. Yeah. And I think here, the the thing that I want to watch out for is everybody's kind of penciled in Wisconsin, you know, over there in the West, because it's over and over again. I think Iowa will have a lot to say about that. That is a, that is a always a tough, you know, blue collar type team. That that could be something that really uh, negates Ohio State if Ohio if Iowa is able to. And Donovan, I'll let you, you know, bring up offensive line stuff, what it looks like. But if I was able to be 
more methodical on offense and keep a team like Ohio State off the field, their offense off the field, and really, you know, reduce a game, condense a game down, they could end up, you know, winning against a, a Wisconsin and playing in Ohio State and giving them problems. Kurt Ferentz always does a good job of getting those guys prepared to play. Um, and, you know, Kurt Ferentz is really uh, just – built a very respectable program at Iowa, not a place that you're going to get a ton of success recruiting things like that with who you have to compete against. But he, he's a, he's a good builder of talent. Iowa it seems to year in and year out, put first and second round talent yep. out in the that. NFL, especially on the offensive line. So Donovan, what does that offensive line return looking like for, for Iowa? Yeah, they have four starters gone. You know, we're not going to pretend that they don't have guys missing, but they we know the culture of, you know, of offensive line, like you said, the blue-collar toughness at Iowa. Tyler Linderbaum returns is probably the best center in the country, right? And one thing with Iowa, you know, I think when you look at, you know, their side of the Big Ten, it's tougher for a team like Iowa Wisconsin to kind of not necessarily make it to the Big Ten championship, but when you don't have a clear-cut elite team in your division like Ohio State is in theirs, right, you kind of have to go through more of a gauntlet not saying that, you know, that division is it's in itself a gauntlet, but when you're not an elite team. So I think another benefit, you know, another advantage for Ohio State is if Iowa, like you said, if the one to make it and, you know, in the Big Ten Championship cause them to slip up, they're going to be more, I don't even want to say battle test, they're going to be more wary, right, after going through that division, not having the same talent as, you know, an elite team like Ohio State. But Iowa is a team, we know their culture. I like their offensive line, even with four starters gone again, it's Iowa. We know what they're going to bring to the table offensive line-wise. Absolutely. And then our last conference we're going to touch on here in terms of playoff talk with our tiers is the Pac-12. Uh, I, you know, Donovan, in our notes, you jokingly put, are we going to even pretend there is a, a, a kingpin in this conference? I think it's only fair to put Oregon here. And the more I molded over throughout the day, I almost moved Washington over yep. there because oh, yeah. people forget they actually won the Pac-12 North last year, but COVID uh, preempted them from being able to participate in the conference championship game. Oregon gets put in, they go on a run, and everybody just kind of remembers what happened with Oregon. But never forget that, that Washington was a good ball club last year. But everybody needs to understand that, that the Pac-12 was so screwed up last year with not decide not to have a season and then having one late and only playing six games and a lot of those getting canceled because of COVID and things like that. But I'll just quickly run through this for time's sake. Of course, Oregon, the Kingpins, uh, if you're listening to us via the podcast, we've got Oregon as the, the preeminent favorite, the Kingpins there. We've got uh, Arizona State, Stanford, Washington, UCLA, and Utah in the Tier 2, the Enjoy Your Bowl Game Tier. Tier 3, Prove Me Wrong, Cal, Washington State. Can, can Washington State recapture some of the magic they had under there under Mike Leach? Uh, Cal, where does the state of that program right now? And then Arizona coming off a 70-7, to 7, I think, beat down from Arizona State in the year last year. They got sent uh, Kevin Sumlin packing. Uh, you know, that that's that's an ouch thing there with the Yikes and Oregon State. I mean, they're the Beavers. You know, that's that, that's that's alone. That mascot should just get you thrown <laughs> into the Yikes category. So, uh, guys, thoughts on the Pac-12. Does Washington have what it takes to take down Mario Cristobal's group uh, and get them to the Pac-12 championship game again? And then can anybody take take care of USC in the South? 
Yeah, and for me, where would you put USC? Are they the kingpin this year? Or are they right there in that tier two? That to me, that's one I think we really need to talk about. I think it's why we wouldn't put that because I feel like we're both back and forth on this. I have them as tier two. I don't really see them as that tier one team. Um, obviously, love Slovis's game. Uh, Drake London, great, probably one of the best wide receivers in the Pac-12. At Notre Dame, that's such a good game too. I'm excited to see that one. Donovan, I'm going to ask you, what do you think hurts USC this year? Where do you really see like their biggest weakness? Yeah, I recently read a quote earlier in the week from their head coach, Clay, Clay Helton, uh, where he said they were playing around with their offensive line matchup or their, their offensive line starting lineup, specifically at left tackle, right? Where he said that they had mixed between three to four guys at left tackle. USC needs to not kid themselves. They are not talented enough to bet on Keaton Slovis's health by playing around with their starting offensive line, you know, their starting offensive line, especially their left tackle, just a couple weeks before the season, right? They're talented, right? Like you said, Keaton Slovis is one of the, you know, top quarterbacks in the country, right? I mean, he's he's a good player, and it doesn't hurt them that they play in the Pac-12. But I, I think, I don't know what it is about USC. We know they're a blue blood program. They really are, but, you know, I, I don't, I think Oregon's probably their biggest, you know, uh, stopgap in terms of this, in this conference, you know, at the end, keeping them from going up into that tier one. I'm going to go on a limb and say Washington wins the Pac-12, um, not only because they do have this Big Ten team in Michigan who I think they can beat, you know, I'll say convincingly. I don't think that's going to be too close to the game. I think Michigan's down bad. Um, but you have one of my favorite tight ends in college football, Kate Oden, who comes back. And it was such a weird year, like you said, um, Blaine, with with COVID last season. I mean, they played like, what, four games? The Pac-12, I mean, it just, it just didn't feel – there's no rhythm. It was just like – I don't know. It, it did not feel like a yeah, real – It was all disjointed. It was it was yeah. a terrible it's deal. Like, oh, we're not playing this week. Game canceled. We might play next week. And it just – it seemed all over the place. So you, It just didn't feel like an actual season for the Pac-12. But I like Washington – 10 starters back on offense. Like I mentioned with Cade coming back, one of my favorite tight ends in college football. Great offensive line with Jackson Kirkland. He's probably, what would you say, a first-round talent? Donovan? He's, he's a first-round talent, absolutely. He's super talented. So they've got everything they need. One of the top defenses that might actually exist in the Pac-12 this year. One of the top defenses uh, over in Washington. So I think they play the, the in the championship this, this year. I think they win because they, they do have this win over Michigan, which I think they're going to win pretty convincingly. Yeah, and you know their their third leading receiver was Drake Drake London at USC, and he returned. So they're going to look to him to become the number one guy over there after they put him on uh, Amonra St. Brown in the in the NFL. Tyler Vaughn's went to the NFL, so you know they do have something to kind of make up there. They're only returning seventy percent of their offensive production from last year that courtesy to our guest from last week pick six previews does great job so make sure to check that out but uh guys you know just just looking at this usc team this is do or die for clay helton i mean clay helton has been on the hot seat and he's been fired and unfired like five different times it seems like you know they've been playing you know pr limbo over there trying to figure out what's going on with the future of their program so i think that ultimately, and we're going to go back and give our conference championship and our predictions for the playoffs for each conference really quickly because uh, to, to be, you know, consider a time here. But I do think that this is a huge year for Clay Helton and USC, not only because it's, uh, you know, a, 
a hot seat year type deal for him. But also they have the pieces, I think, to to be successful in the Pac-12. And then also they've had some tremendous recruiting momentum this recruiting cycle. They've gotten a five-star from where I'm from, Michael Williams, uh, down in South Georgia, Columbus, Georgia, that that doesn't happen. I mean, you don't pull five stars out of Georgia and and they're in, in the running for Christian Miller, a four-star from Atlanta, defensive lineman. So they're they're really trying to start to make – and I think NIL has a lot to do with that. They have, you know, right there in Los Angeles, they have a lot of, you know, possibilities with NIL there. So if they were to, to catch fire early and they were to have some success, they could, you know, add upon that – momentum they have in recruiting you know because guys look at what they open up with san jose state stanford at home that should be a win at washington state should be a win oregon state win at colorado win and then their first real test to me comes utah at home on october 9th so they could be sitting five and oh uh be racking up a bunch of four and five star commitments in that in that time frame um so really big year for usc so yeah keontae uh, johnson comes over from uh I mean, Keontae Ingram comes over from Texas to the running back. Mm-hmm. And then they got a, a wide receiver from Colorado, Katie Nixon, I think was his name. So they, you know, recruiting well and they're getting transfers too. No doubt. No doubt. So let's uh, real quick, uh, we'll go conference by conference. Um, are we all in agreement that it's going to be uh, North Carolina and Clemson in the championship game? Yep. North Carolina yep. wins still. <laughs> You're taking North Carolina? Yep. Donovan, I'm, who are you taking? I'm taking Clemson. You're taking Clemson. I'm going to take Clemson as well. Much like your uh, Crimson, beloved Crimson Tide, Josh, I'm going to say until somebody knocks them off, I'm going to yeah. hold them in that Down spot of reverence. Uh, then I'm going to go Big Ten. We're going to say uh, in the East, Ohio State. In the West, who who we're going with? Do we think Iowa or Wisconsin? Mm. I'll say Iowa. I think Wisconsin still has a lot to work on. Uh, we saw really good. Grant Mertz, and then we saw really bad. So I just think the consistency is not there yet. I think I was the more, more concrete answer. Yeah. So, and then out of those, those two, I'm going to say Ohio State. <laughs> yep. Oh, yep. oh, so, oh, yeah. I L. <laughs> all right. And then the, the final, the final one, the Pac 12, we've got Oregon and USC. I think Mario Cristobal has this Oregon program really clicking and really start. I mean, you know, Kevin. Thibodeau is going to be just absolutely off the charts. You even talked about him, Josh, as being a potential Heisman candidate. Yeah. You know, so I think Oregon is is my winner in the Pac-12. Donovan, who do you have? Yeah, I'm going to go Oregon, but I'll say this. We'll see how much potential they have for the rest of the season after Ohio State drops a 30-point win on them. And that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I think I'll say a 30 It's going to be a 50-burger. <laughs> yeah, 30, no, 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 I'm, I'm the uh, – it, it's going to be tough for them. I'm going to go against the tide. No pun intended with Alabama. I want to say Washington. I really do think they will do enough this year to win the Pac-12. So they're going to. You think they'll? They would have to preempt uh, Oregon from even getting to. So you think Washington takes care of Oregon? In, I, interesting. I think so, so that's why you watch CFB unfiltered, guys. Mm-hmm. We're giving you all the takes here. So now that we've talked about playoffs, guys, it's time to hit our Heisman candidates for the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. So the Heisman Trophy goes to the best 
college football player out there as voted upon by the illustrious potentates in the media that, you know, many of them have never picked up a football, but yet they get to decide who gets that Heisman <laughs> Trophy. And uh, you got to love that. So let's start with the ACC. Who are our candidates? Donovan, go ahead and tell everybody who the, who the three that you think coming out of the ACC could be as Heisman Trophy contenders. Yeah, so our top three, they're all quarterbacks. Sam Howell out of UNC. Obviously, we know he's probably going to be a top five, top ten pick. Might be the first quarterback taken in this next year's draft. Uh, we got DJ U. Uh, Josh, you're going to have to help me with the name go again. Go ahead I, and say I, I want to say it's Ayugalele. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I can't even say it when I'm on. <laughs> All it knows, we stole him out the back 12. Ayugalele. Yeah, there we go. Ayugalele. There we go. We we saw him a little bit last year at Clemson. We know he's talented. We know he's got a good cast around him. And then Derek King out of Miami. Again, it rests a lot on, you know, how does he recover after the injury and how does his offensive line protect him? Do we really know how talented DJ is? I mean, he was taking on Notre Dame. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit of fool's gold there, you know. Who, who knows? I but, think he's uh, a real deal. It, no, he's a real deal. Dr. Dr. Pepper doesn't sling a bunch of money at you if you're not. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So – Derek King, you talk about the king of NIL. Derek King is rocking like seven different sponsorship deals oh, yeah. right now. Him and Bryce, Bryce Young, Young, him and Bryce Young are like going to the bank already with this stuff. So uh, I'm in agreement with this. I think it's uh, you know, other than Devonta Smith actually winning as a receiver last year, the Heisman has generally become a a quarterback award, and I don't. I personally don't think there's a finer quarterback in the country than Sam Howell. Sam Howell throws he he anticipates windows he throws on time he's also able to extend plays with his legs when needed he doesn't look to run first but he's able to extend plays and is plenty athletic enough to escape the pocket he can vary his arm angles uh has a little bit of a baker mayfield feel about him to me he's going to take some chances he's going to try to put some stuff in into tight windows but i think mac brown's got that old man swag and he's all about it like he's he's in there He's in there, you know, rocking his Jordans at, you know, 85 years old or whatever he, whatever he is now. Him and Snyder, uh, you know, were coaching well into the into the old age over there at uh, Kansas State. But, uh, no, Mac Brown, he this is how in tune Mac Brown is, guys. He, he found out a rule that the NCAA said that you can't have recruits off campus more than a mile off campus and you be visiting with them on an unofficial visit right so what did him and his wife do they bought a house 0.9 miles from the center of chapel hills campus and now they on unofficial visits mac brown can host uh recruits at his house so that is what they're killing it recruiting wise that's what yeah and they're doing great they convinced tony grimes tony grimes a guy that was supposed to be a senior in high school in Virginia last year, they convinced him to reclassify and not only reclassify to come there and learn like Quinn Ewers is going to do at Ohio State, but Tony Grimes played. That joker came in, and he started in the Orange Bowl at the end of the year. So, And he's going to be probably the best corner in the ACC. He's, he's really, really talented. So he's, he's, he's a prodigy. But Mac Brown is pulling out all the stops. He, he he does not care. He's got that ring. He's flashing it around, you know, letting these guys know that uh, Chapel Hill is no longer just a uh, just a basketball school. So uh, are we all in agreement that maybe Sam Howell is going to be the 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 biggest candidate out of the ACC? 
Oh, yeah. And he's going to kill it in Washington as our franchise quarterback, too. Hey, I love that move, Josh. But, yeah, I'm in agreement. <laughs> I'm going to speak right. it until the draft happens. So, <laughs> Heisman candidates for the Big Ten. We got C.J. Stroud, Garrett Wilson, wide receiver at Ohio State, and then Graham Mertz, quarterback at Wisconsin. Um, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I don't know. C.J. Stroud, I think, is going to be productive just because, like I said, I think – Virtually anyone is going to be productive in that Ohio State offense. One, I think the caliber of defense is played in the Big Ten against that offense is just not very high. I don't think there's there's a talent gap that is just astronomically different between the, the way Ohio State recruits and the way somebody like a Rutgers uh, recruits, although Rutgers is picking it up, honestly. I'm not lying here from our rival stuff. Rutgers is picking it up with their NIL work, being the proximity to New York and things like that. But there's still such a talent gap out there. Um, C.J. Stroud, I think Chris Olave needs to be thrown in there as well. Chris Olave is going to get yeah. a ton of ton of looks they're going to try to get him on jet sweeps they're going to get him on quick screens and things like that he could have a Devonte smith like year yeah well, what helps what helps uh garrett wilson is you know kick returns punt returns stuff like that kind of you know smith didn't really do too much of that that was more jalen waddle's role but i think it kind of opens the door for him to have more explosive game-changing plays but yeah i love chris olave but you're right to think like how much does it hurt cj stroud having those two guys names you know potential in the Heisen race do, do they get more credit than CJ Stroud because we know what we're getting out of those two guys they've been around long enough to say hey Chris Olave is as advertised and same with Garrett Wilson yeah and I and I love CJ Stroud so far from what we've heard and I think it helps when I you know I consider the best offensive line in college football is in front of you and the best wide receiver core and Garrett Wilson I, I understand you know Devontae Freeman had a spectacular year you know especially a once in a decade kind of year from wide receiver Garrett Wilson, I think the thing that helps him over, you know, Chris Olave, CO2, right, who might be the better receiver, that he's electrifying. Like you said, Josh, punt returns, kick returns. And I can firsthand attest, thankfully, the video is buried deep somewhere on YouTube, is that I had to go up against him on punt return. And I'll tell you, <laughs> he is as electrifying as they look, right? I saw it firsthand. Um, so I think that helps him again, Graham Mertz. We'll see which version of him shows up throughout the season. Yeah, and then the kind of flying the woman again, I want to throw in there that could be somebody that upsets the apple cart a little bit. Let's say Penn State does upset Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Well, in that game, Sean Clifford is likely to have just balled out in that game. He can all, he can not only, uh, you know, has a strong arm, but he can do so with his legs as well, can hurt you. A big guy can, can hurt you with his legs. So if he does that, uh, and is they upset Ohio State, then you got to throw his name right there in the hat of the Heisman Trophy race because I would imagine if they do that, they're likely to be fighting right there as an undefeated, you know, looking team at, at Penn State because it should be a big bounce back year. Yeah, they started out 0 5 uh, with the COVID deal, but they ran the table, won the last four. And James Franklin, people don't need to forget he won, he had three nine win seasons at Vanderbilt. That man ought to have a statue. Put that, doesn't in, <laughs> that man ought to have a statue built for him, not only at Vanderbilt, but at every school, at every school, just to say, look what this guy did. He won <laughs> nine games at Vanderbilt, guys. It's, that's, that's literally, I, I would have to have a whole nother hour show to go into how big that is. Um, but then lastly, uh, let's, let's touch on the Pac 12 Heisman candidates. Uh, you know, we talked about Kayvon Thibodeau. You know that that could be kind of you know that would be out there a That's decent a Chase player. Young pick. Oh uh, yeah, but uh, Jaden Daniels, Keaton Slo- Slovis, um, 
I think Slovis is going to be good, but I just don't think any of these guys are going to win enough and, and have the, the spotlight. They, I mean, they're playing games at midnight. Nobody's watching them. You know, I, I just think there's that bias against the West Coast. Um, but I love Jaden Daniels, though. Like, I think this is going to be an extremely hot take. I think he could have a Zach Wilson-esque jump, um, you know, being a complete nobody to coming out as, like, a household name quarterback. He lit it up in the four games they played last season. Like, yeah. say what you want about it, but he is that dual-threat quarterback. Not saying he's going to be a first-round draft pick, but he's definitely being talked about draft-wise as, you know, a possible second-round quarterback. So don't be surprised if you hear a lot about Jane Daniels. He's not going to be talking about Heisman much, but he's going to earn a lot of respect this year. Hey, he's got Herm over there, Herm oh, yeah. Edwards <laughs> as, his, as his coach. So you know Herm's got Weekly his guess pulse, for us. pulse on the NFL and uh, all that kind of stuff. So uh, Jaden – Jaden Daniels definitely could have a big year. But, guys, uh, now what it's time is for the big three. So let's get to it. Big three. Yeah, 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 yeah. Big three. A little homage to Ice Cube and Dale Earnhardt, the number three. So special there. So I always love that part of the show here. But, guys, let's uh, our big three, we're going with the – best three games in each conference and the best three individual matchups. So, uh, like I said, just getting around that, that hour mark right here. So we're going to try to, we're going to try to, uh, run through these for you here, but we do want to do justice to each one. So let's start off in the ACC. I'm going to run through the games and then you each tell me something that stands out to you. The first game we have is Clemson at NC state on September 25th. That's followed by North Carolina versus versus Miami. North Carolina at home against Miami the uh, October 16th. And then NC State hosting North Carolina on November 26th. So, Josh, which of those games sticks out the most to you? I'm going to pick the unpopular, the three, NC State versus Clemson because it's a very young Clemson team. We don't know if, you know, how DJ is going to do in a full season, have no clue what Justin Ross looks like coming back 18 months later against a very experienced, you know, bruising defense. Like you mentioned with NC state, I think that's a great test for them. And don't be surprised if, like if NC state actually plays somewhat of an upset role that game, that's the one that, that kind of gets me going. I like that one. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'll go with North Carolina versus Miami, right? I think it's going to be a battle of two quarterbacks, one with Sam Howell and De'Eric King. And I think if what happens, I think we all think Miami gets blown out week one against Alabama. If they don't have another loss on their schedule by the time they get there and then after the season, that's kind of their last-ditch effort to stay relevant for the season, right? So they have a kind of a prove-it game against North Carolina at that point. Yeah, uh, you know, that that one definitely, that that has a major impact right on who plays against a Clemson team in the in the conference championship game, but I think what is interest interesting to me, I'm going to piggyback off of yours, Josh. So let's say, let's say NC State at home were to upset Clemson, right? Then how important does that game at the end of the year come come against North Carolina? And also think about this: if NC State upsets Clemson and runs the table, they could play North Carolina in the last game of the season and then have to turn right around and play them again in the conference championship mm. game. So you talk about, you know, right there on the tobacco road with uh, NC State and, and North Carolina, 
you know, going after each other right there. It, it could be uh, it could be some crazy stuff in the ACC if that were to happen. So those are the games that we think there. Now moving down to the Big Ten best games, we have Ohio State, Michigan on eleven twenty seven. I guess Donovan just put that because you know yeah, the game, the kind greatest of rivalry. rivalry in all of sport. That would be the Iron Bowl. Iron Bowl. Um, Stop it. I didn't see y'all's documentary. Oh my Ohio State and Indiana, the, the documentary was just like, you know, Jim Harbaugh crapping his pants in a Walmart <laughs> parking lot or something. I appreciate that. <laughs> Ohio, Ohio State at Indiana on October 23rd, and then Wisconsin versus Iowa October 30th. I think that October 30th game, Wisconsin-Iowa, is just going to be an all-out dogfight. Yeah, I think it's going to be an act. It, it's going to be a matchup in the trenches, and it's going to be a classic—not just Big Ten game, but a, just a classic football game. And it could decide which one of those teams, you know, does go and play Ohio State in the Big Ten championship. Josh? I'm going Ohio State, Indiana. The Ty Fry Fogle redemption game. He balled out last year in such a close game. I want to see Michael Penix just put on a show. I am pulling for Indiana so hard this game. I know Ty Freifogel is going to be at Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl, and I am looking forward to seeing this guy in person. I love his name, and I love how he plays football as a wide receiver. Just go rewatch that game later on tonight or tomorrow. Just go watch Ohio State-Indiana last year. It was so back and forth, but Ty made so many big plays. He looked like Devontae Smith out there against Ohio State secondary. So I want to see Indiana just get that little push over Ohio State and – Finish the job this year. Here's the thing that Ohio State may want to worry about. Ohio State looked like they had never played defense in that game before, and our guest today, Chris Noon, said they had just lost their entire back seven of their defense. So Ohio State has linebackers, secondary, all gone. They're out of here. So, uh, you know, that's something to worry about. Now, the best three games in the Pac-12, and then we're going to get to our matchups, but we've got Utah versus Arizona State on October 16th, USC at Arizona State on October 30th, and Oregon at Utah on 11-20, November 20th. So, guys, which game stands out to you of the big three there for the Pac-12? I'm going to say Oregon-Utah. That's like your classic offense versus defense. Utah, that stingy team. I I said, you know, last year they're, they're going to be a real team. I've seen them as one of those teams that could kind of creep into that playoff talk the last few years. They keep building up, getting there. Obviously, you think I would hate Utah from back with Urban Meyer and uh, Alex Smith when they did what they did to Alabama. I'll never talk about that again after tonight. But I, I think that's that classic offense versus defensive game. Something's got to give in that one. They're just going to go back and forth. Yeah, I'm going to go USC uh, at Arizona State. Josh, you've kind of sold me on the Jaden Daniels uh, hype train. And so I'm curious deal. to see, you know, what he does against, you know, not that USC is some kingpin of the, the Pac-12, but I'm curious to see what he does, you know, on national TV, right, against a program like USC, a program that's probably going to be trying to vie for trying to vie for a New Year's Six Bowl spot. So I'm, I'm it's intrigued. It's a great stage for him. Yeah. That's going to be a big game for NFL GMs and scouts and all that to tune into. I might be there. They may be looking at, okay, do we want to take Slovis or do we want to take Daniels? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. that could literally be what's going through people's mind. Josh, I'm going to go with you with the Oregon and Utah game. Uh, you know, last year, obviously, in the state of Utah, high high concentration population of uh, uh, Mormon religion over there. So, you know, with BYU and um, 
in Coastal Carolina last year, it was the Mormons versus the mullets. Well, now you're gonna have mm-hmm. now you're gonna have the the Mormons versus the environmentalists over there with the Utah and Oregon <laughs> and that. Say the hippies. <laughs> well, now, just call them the hippies. That's they yeah, the hippies. I mean, that, that's what's gonna happen. So, uh, Oregon, you know, I think Nick Saban, I think, said a quote. You know, somebody was talking about Oregon has like seven thousand uniform combinations or something like that, and and Saban was like. To. <laughs> Saban was like, we wear red at home, we wear white on the road, and Love we it. kick everyone's tail. You know, so that's, that that's basically basically what he said there. So uh, I think it's a very much same mentality there. Uh, and Utah is that tough team. Utah, what was it, two years ago where Utah, all they had to do was win in the Pac-12 championship game, and they were in the playoffs, and they just choked it away. So you got to wonder if Utah can uh, get a little redemption and come back this year. They sent a stronger. lot of defensive guys to the league that year too. They put like four four guys in the secondary alone went to the NFL after that season. So I love their defense. If you're a defensive person, Utah is the team for you to watch. Yeah, and then now we're going to hit our best three individual matchups for each conference real quick. So we've got the ACC. Clemson's D-line versus NC State's O-line. I think that's what it's going to come down to in that matchup. You've got Tony Grimes, the UNC corner, versus Mark Pope for Miami. And then the wide receiver, Mark Pope for Miami. And then NC State's linebackers versus UNC's OL and Sam Howell. So what stands out to you the most there, Josh, out of those three matchups? You mentioned it uh, with your pick with UNC and C State. Maybe they can get that rivalry going a little bit. It's kind of lost its touch over the years, but that offense with Sam Howell, he's he's the experienced guy. Talk about the offensive line he has coming back, going against a mirror of experience with the linebacker core in NC State. Yeah. That's gonna that's possibly his biggest test the whole season, you know, until they meet Clemson if they do. Well, Peyton Wilson is the is kind of the signal caller of that defense for the NC State uh, linebacking core, and he had 108 tackles last year. So what I'm what I'm thinking when I think of that matchup is okay. Sam Howell likes to use his legs a little bit on maybe some design quarterback runs. Also, uh, getting out of the pocket a little bit is the is you know if Ohio if Ohio State I'm looking at Donovan here if <laughs> NC State uh, goes to a you know. An, an odd front and tries to put four linebackers on the field at the same time, uh, maybe trying to keep some contained yeah. with outside backers, their athleticism. How does, uh, you know, how does North Carolina's front, you know, handle that? And, you know, we'll see, we'll see that happens, but Donovan, what's the matchup you like out of those three? I'm with both of you guys. I think, you know, UNC is interesting. They lost, you know, they lost Daz Newsom. They lost uh, Deami Brown. That offensive line, it does return five starters. They didn't have the most stellar year last year, so I'm curious to see what they do in the face of you know elite conference talent um, in that front seven. Ty Chandler. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ty yeah. Chandler. Yeah. Then uh, Ty Chandler, you know, coming from Tennessee over there, so he's uh, he's he you know left an absolute dumpster fire to go have a little success over there at at uh, North Carolina. So smart, smart, smart man. I mean, that's a business decision right there. He's, he's so best matchups in the Big Ten. Now we got Iowa's offensive line versus Wisconsin's front seven on defense. Cornerback Seven Banks. I mean, his name's Seven. Hey, that would make. Uh, that would make George seven as in Ty Freifogel. That, <laughs> that'd make George Costanza really proud right there. Seven banks versus Ty Freifogel, and then CJ Stroud versus the rest of the Big Ten. Uh, I think what intrigues me the most is that that Freifogel matchup. I, I just wonder 
you know, Freifogel is going to be feeling it after having all that success there. Um, is, is Seven Banks able to stop him? Yeah, I like Seven Banks a lot. I mean, he's not the guy like typical high State corner. Yeah, he's not the typical high State cornerback. No, no. Well, maybe maybe the last year. I hope he is. Wade, yeah, I mean, the year before. But he's not the typical corner kind of path at Ohio State where you have Jeff Okuda come up, you know, as a younger guy and say, oh, he's got a lot of, you know, a ton of potential. He's definitely going to be a, a first, second round guy or, you know, ended up being a first. But Seven Banks, I think, just quietly kind of came on the scene for Ohio State. And I'm interested, I'm interested to see what he does against, like Josh said, one of the favorites in the country and an elite talent wide receiver, me, honestly. You know what? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to say CJ Stroud against the Big Ten. You know, you got you're filling all these big shoes back to, you know, JT Barrett, Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields. Now you're the young guy on campus. You're going against stingy defense defenses. I just like seeing young quarterbacks and how they progress through their whole career. You have, you have Quinn Ewers right here. Uh, breathing over down your neck uh, you know everybody yeah, wants, flowing. <laughs> everybody wants that mullet to just flow uh, out of that helmet yeah, and he'll take ball over out. uh you know there's a big drink company down in texas that's going to be pushing him dry <laughs> no i mean yeah. it, there's all kinds of stuff but i'm just i'm just messing around with that but uh cj stroud I, I i have no doubts that he'll have success because like i said i think you know you could put just about anybody in that ohio state system and they're going to have a big year uh, if you hear something in the background, that's my dog uh, lapping up some water very, very aggressively right there. So I'm sorry if that <laughs> can't hear it. <laughs> like it, it must be really thirsty. Um, but anyways, last matchups here before we go, we've got our Pac-12 best matchups, which is uh, Abraham Lucas, offensive tackle for Washington State versus Kayvon Thibodeau. You better cross it up before the game on that one. Lucas better. Keaton Slovis versus the Utah secondary. And then my personal favorite, the Pac-12 versus the CFP selection committee. So, you know, does the C does the Pac-12 stand any chance, get any love from the CFB uh no, you know, playoff committee? <laughs> even if a team has one year, loss. No. If a team has one loss, are they totally out of it? That kind of stuff. So puts a lot of pressure on Washington and uh Oregon when they play uh, Michigan and Ohio State yeah. respectively USC plays up. Notre Dame like that's the three top Pac-12 teams have their chance to say all right we went out of conference played the Big 10 played the loner Notre Dame team and we won so like you have to respect us at that point so it's it's up to them there's no more oh but we don't get watched enough yeah you do you're playing these big big three schools Donovan uh, to kind of you know close us out here just tell us about what does Abraham Lucas have to do for Washington State to be able to have success against Kayvon Thibodeau? Yeah, he's got to play his game right. You hear a lot with the off- with offensive line, offensive linemen in the O line world. You know, set your set right, play your game. Don't play the man you're playing in front of you, right? Don't don't kind of you know mirror him. You do your own thing. And so I think he's got he's got a lot of hype to him. He's probably already you know penciled in as a first round pick, but he's got a chance to really you know establish himself and write it in you know in, in solid gold as a first round pick. And I'll and, and I'll say this, you know, Pac-12 versus College Ball Selection Committee, they're playing against them. They're also playing against relevancy. I mean, they're falling out of the loop compared to the AC Big Ten and SEC now. It, it, Pac-12 has got a lot a lot on their shoulders coming up this season. Absolutely. This has been another 
episode of CFB Unfiltered for Josh Taylor and Donovan White. I'm Blaine Gilmer. Make sure to subscribe to the 365 Sports YouTube channel. Follow us on Twitter using at CFB Unfiltered. And each and every Thursday night throughout the season, 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we will be on here. So thank you so much for joining, and we'll catch you next time. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.